During Advent this year, we have been uh, talking through a few objects that may or may not remind us of the anticipation or the longing that we're invited to experience during this season. We, we've been using a, a book by Jill Duffield called Advent in Plain Sight as a guide here on Sunday mornings as well as in our daily devotions that are emailed out, um, devotionals every, every morning. The first week focused on gates, the second week focused on tears, and then last Sunday, Pastor Daryl opened up reflecting on the image of, of belts, using the, the prophecy out of Isaiah 11, where we read, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. So we've, we've talked through some images, we've talked through gates, Tears, belts, again, images that we may or may not associate with the Advent season. But today, we're talking about, or we're, we're kind of reflecting uh, around the image that is most associated with Christmas. Any guesses in today's world? Any guesses? You can shout it out. Trees! Trees! When we finally got to this chapter, I said, oh, thank goodness. We can, we can talk we can talk about, about trees. There, there's some debate about the Christmas tree. Some of you may have know, know about where it originated, but it's almost certainly not first a, a tradition that was connected to, to Christmas or, or to Christianity. It's, it's more than likely, almost certainly, uh, borrowed from uh, some pagan celebration. Ancient Egyptians, Scandinavian Vikings early Romans, they all used trees around their homes during solstice to celebrate the changing of the season or to acknowledge the changing of the season. It wasn't until some point in the 16th century that uh, Christmas trees started showing up in Germany, with, with some accrediting Martin Luther, although I, I, I think it's, it's a wonderful myth, but who knows, some crediting Martin Luther with, with first putting candles in his tree, because he was walking home from preaching one evening, and he looked up in the stars at the evergreen trees, and he saw he saw or he saw stars shining through the trees, and he thought, "Oh, wouldn't that look great in my living room?" And so he put candles on his Christmas tree, and I, I think really candles on the Christmas tree. Let's let's think about that for for a minute. I, I, I don't think the fire marshal would would approve. Um, and because many of the the Christians on American soil first were, were Puritans. The Christmas tree came relatively late to, to our culture. In fact, in 1659, the General Court of Massachusetts outlawed putting up any decorations at all. How many of you would be in trouble? How many would be? You, I, they, they outlawed putting up any decorations at all around Christmas outside and even having any parties outside of what happened in church. Outside of what happened in church, that all changed when when German and Irish immigrants arrived in the 19th century. And my family and many of you are sure grateful that that did change. One of our favorite tra uh, traditions as a family since we've lived here is going to the Christmas tree farm along the 23 to cut down a tree. And it's the same place that gives us greenery every year for our, our Advent wreaths that, that we use when we kick off Advent here with our Advent celebration. It's not quite as adventurous as the Griswold family walking through the snow to cut down their, their tree, 
But every time we go, we're, we're there with our family, and, and I kind of leave the family because I have to kind of lead the charge, and I'm looking for that right tree. And, and I kid you not, every time we know it's the right tree because the light shines perfectly onto the tree, just just like it did for the Griswold family. So I'm, I'm kind of curious how many of you take Christmas decorating, your, your tree decorating seriously. The tree has to be perfectly symmetrical with the ornaments and lights perfectly placed. The star or the angel on top has to be perfect. How many of you decorate that way? You know where all your ornaments are. You know where they all go every year. It's just, it's got to be that, that way. And how many of you are, are more kind of free with your decorating? You're just happy to get a tree up, even if it's all higgly-piggly. How many of you are that way? Trees are an important part of our Christmas celebration. They've become an important part of our Christmas celebration. And though it hasn't always been that way for followers of Christ, they play an incredibly important role in the big picture of Scripture as well. In our first passage this morning, we read the the beginning of the second creation narrative out of Genesis. Right after God breathes life into humankind, We're told about a garden full of trees, some of which were were food and some of which were just nice to look at. In the middle of the garden sits the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now when we we talk about this story, we we tend to focus on the, 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 the tree of knowledge of good and evil because that's where the whole Adam and Eve thing take place. But the penalty that comes with being banished from Eden includes not eating from the tree of life. And then, at the end of the narrative that Scripture tells us, it's the tree of life that shows up in Revelation, spreading throughout the city with its fruit bringing healing to the nations. When we talk about Advent, we've been trying to talk about how Advent is is, is two kind of we're celebrating two things. We're celebrating what it, Jesus's birthday, what it would have been like to anticipate Jesus's birthday. Wow. We also recognize that we are a people who are longing and expecting Christ to return. So as we live between Jesus's birth and his, his return, we're anticipating this time where that tree of life spreads throughout all of the new creation, bringing healing to the nations. We're looking forward to that day when when that tree brings nourishment to sustain an ailing, ailing creation. So I titled today's sermon, The Serious Business of Advent, because as important it is to celebrate the birth of Jesus and all of the fun traditions that go with that, like trees and lights and parties and nativities, we can't lose sight of the whole story. We're also anticipating Christ's return. When God's dwelling place is among us, when, as John writes, the tree of life will be running through the place that we're united. So as we live between Jesus' birth and his return, Advent reminds us to examine our hearts. To take how we think, how we act, how we live amongst one another seriously. So last week, Pastor Daryl shared some about John the Baptist, uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah's son, who, remember, he's the one who, who came out of the wilderness wearing camel's hair. Uh, you know, he was eating locusts. He was this wild, wild guy. 
And it's important that we don't gloss over the importance of John the Baptist in Jesus' ministry. He understood his place. He was clear that his role was to point other people to Jesus. He went as far as saying that, that he himself must decrease so that Jesus could increase. In John 10.41, we're told that when Jesus crossed over the Jordan to, to a place where John was well known, to a community that knew John the Baptist, it was reported by those people that John himself never performed any signs or wonders, but that everything that he said was going to come true about Jesus did come true. His voice served as a transition between the old covenant and the new day. So when he's introduced in the first part of Matthew 3, he preaches what's, what's best understood to be a, a two-part sermon. We looked at the first part last Sunday. It's all about repentance. The invitation to all who heard to turn their lives around and to begin focusing on the kingdom of heaven because it was at hand. Now we often equate the act of repenting to, to feeling sorry or, or feeling regret. But the word that John the Baptist uses is so much more. It, it means this kind of radical recognition that God invites us to align ourselves our minds, our hearts, our actions with what's most important to God. In the second part of the sermon that, that John preaches, it's all about that realignment. It's an urgent warning to not take Jesus' coming too lightly. And in the middle of it, we see some more imagery about trees. So starting at Matthew 3, verse 7. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. This is really what you wanted to hear right before Christmas, right? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chafe with unclenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A lot of kids in our area began their winter break on Friday, and the rest will start theirs in this coming week. And the break couldn't have come for a better time or at a better time for my family. There, there seems to be this recurring pattern that happens each and every year, and I don't think it's unique to our house. At the beginning of the school year, we're eager. Mom and Dad are eager for the kids to go back to school. The kids, they're eager to go to school their backpacks are neatly packed. We wake up on time. We're all dialed in, ready to go. Then sometime, either a week before Halloween or a week after Halloween, there's a shift. Getting up in the morning, it's a task. Lunches may or may not be ready. And mom and dad can't function without coffee. 
When we return from Thanksgiving, we're, we're excited to be back at school for a, a couple days. And then, then we kind of hit this, this month-long stupor. And it's not just the kids. One morning, this, this, this happened just this, this last week. One morning, I, I woke up and I was the dad playing annoying songs on the guitar just to get my kids out of bed as they pulled blankets over their head. The next morning, I was still in bed 10 minutes before we had to drive away. As the school year goes on, we're kind of lulled into this place of where a sense of urgency is just gone. It just, it just goes away. It takes something like a break to, to wake us up, to get us going again. Now, it's an understatement to say that John the Baptist's sermon here is a, a wake-up call, but he's definitely trying to elicit a response. And it was mostly a warning for those who consider themselves to be religious. It was the, the religious leaders of the day. Well, it's important that we remember that, that Jesus said that we wouldn't know the time or the day of his return. He also said we should be ready. And Advent reminds us of that call that we, we should be ready. In, in the same way that John the Baptist announced the urgency around Jesus' birth, the, the season of Advent reminds us to be ready for his return. Now that might sound a bit alarmist, and maybe part of it should be. But I am convinced that the majority of what John the Baptist was getting at here had to do with how the religious people were living their day-to-day -day lives. It had to do with what they were doing in their present life. It's why in verse 8 he says, Produce fruit, keeping with repentance. In other words, live in a way, act in a way, in your daily lives now, that means you take repentance seriously. So Advent, it's, it's an invitation of sorts to check our own hearts. Jill Duffield uh, gets to the seriousness of the matter in a rather harsh line in the book that we've been using as a guide. Just as the world is singing cheering songs of Santa and jingle bells, John the Baptist calls us all a brood of vipers and warns us that right now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Bear good fruit or else. Again, yay Advent. Now, I'd argue that John the Baptist is calling the Pharisees and the Sadducees the brood of vipers, not us. But the point remains, the warning is just as strong for, for those of us in the church today, for people of faith today, as it was then for people of faith. Bear good fruit. It's a warning that leads us to believe that at least some of the religious people of John the Baptist's day weren't bearing fruit. The Pharisees, they were, they were lay people. They held to a, a strict adherence to a, a certain interpretation of the law. And the Sadducees, they were, they were educated clergy. So one of my, my favorite scholars, he refers to the Pharisees as the spiritually serious people and the Sadducees as the socially sophisticated people. The serious and sophisticated religious leaders would, would have been <clears throat> used to kind of showing up at events like what was happening with, with John the Baptist and being honored. They, they would have been used to showing up and, and being welcomed. Hey, you guys are important. You've got it all together. You're, you're the people of faith. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. But John, what does John do? You brought brood of vipers. He does the opposite. He's not even sure why they're there. 
He calls them a pack of snakes as he directs his attention toward them. But everyone else would have heard what he had to say as well. He says, don't think you can use your position or your heritage to pull rank on everyone else. You're not as important as you think you are. The expectation would have been for John to use this sort of language for those who are outside the religious community, not those who are inside it. And the warning for us is that he uses it for the people who are on the inside. On the street where I I grew up as a kid, we had neighbors who who held to a a variety of different belief systems. Some were were Christian and and some weren't, and some were were more open with their faith than than others. My, My guess is it's probably not all that different than the neighborhoods we live in today. There was a neighbor from down the street who, who knew that even though we were in, in different denominations, that we, we shared Protestant Christianity together, and they were really concerned with our, our direct next-door neighbors who were Catholic. It was as if we, we had, had it right, and the, the Catholics, they, they, they had it wrong. Our next-door neighbors had it wrong. And again, even though we didn't come from the same Protestant denomination, this, this neighbor came to our family and said, we, we've got to fix this. And it was the oddest, oddest thing. The, the neighbors next door, they were some of our, our closest friends and were devout followers of Jesus. They didn't need fixing. The sense of pride and entitlement that the serious and the sophisticated religious folks of Jesus' day carried, it continues in the present. It looks different, but, but it, it continues in the present. And we need to be aware of the places that it shows up in our own lives. It was a a barrier for some of the people that, that, that when John the Baptist announced that Jesus' arrival, and, and it's a, a barrier today, that, that sense of pride. So John, he invites these people on the inside to repent, to be baptized. Now in the mind of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the serious and the sophisticated, it was the outsiders who needed the cleansing. Not those who are on the insides. But, but John says, no, 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 insiders need it too. Now it's often said that, that baptism is an outward expression of something that, that happens in, in the heart. A way to share with the world what God is doing in a person's life and in our tradition in the life of a community. And while in our tradition we're only baptized once, it, it's important to remember that our heart is constantly Constantly being formed. Constantly being formed. We, we are never done growing in faith. And as our heart is formed, we're, we're softened. Our heart is softened for the world around us and prepared for whoever it is that God puts on our path. And a part of that, that heart formation, if you will, is taking some time to take some personal inventory. It's, it's checking in on ourselves. Taking warnings like the one we hear in this second half of John the Baptist sermon here. So as we enter this last week of Advent, I invite us to ask ourselves some questions. And, and to be clear, these are questions to ask yourself. 
So if you're here with somebody from your family and they start asking you your question, say, that's not for you to ask me. It's to ask ourselves, to spend ourselves some time reflecting on ourselves. First, what's the fruit that you're producing? Spend some time reflecting. What's the fruit that you're producing? Does your life reflect the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Take some personal inventory. I look through that list every time I read the fruit of the Spirit. I say, ooh, I blew that this morning. Take some personal inventory. Secondly, when was the last time you, 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 had, you took an honest assessment of your pride? Where might a sense of privilege be creeping into the way you view your relationships with others or your relationship with God? And in what area of your, your life might you need to repent? Remember, repenting isn't about just saying sorry or admitting a wrongdoing. It's turning It's turning our attention back toward God so that what we do and what we think lines up with God's kingdom and what God's kingdom, what God is bringing to the world today. As we approach this last week of Advent and as we prepare for an incredible celebration next weekend, I'd invite you to spend some time examining your hearts. Let's pray. God of hope, God of peace, God of joy, and God of love. In the midst of all the celebration, may we remember that Advent is an invitation to be shaped by your kingdom in all that we do as we await your return. Thank you for sending your son, and thank you for the promise that he'll return. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.